Hi, I'm Angie, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. We're the Faithless Sisters, and this semester we're taking a new look at the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. We're looking at how God is revealing and working His plan for man's salvation through these books of the Bible. We're following Dr. Chris Miller's class at Cedarville University, and we're excited that you're joining us in our discussion of his teaching. We can't wait to learn more of God's character and plan. Well, hi there. We are in Genesis this week. We're still hanging out in Genesis, and um, we are going to hit Genesis 4 through 11 in about 20 minutes. So... (laughs) There is a lot of information to process. Dr. Miller throws out a lot of information. If you are watching his videos, he throws out a lot of information. There's a lot of information, obviously, in Genesis 4 through 11, if you're reading the Bible. Um, So we are just going to break it down, similar to how he does, and we are going to fly through this. So you're going to see us, or you're going to hear us today talk about Cain and Abel in Genesis 4 and 5. You're going to hear us talk about um, Noah and the flood, both pre and post flood times in Genesis 6 through 11. And then you're going to hear us talk about the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. Um, sorry, Genesis 6 through 10 is Noah and flooding. Um, and then Tower of Babel is Genesis 11. And you're also going to hear us always tie back into how does this show who God is and who cares? Why does this matter to me today? <laughs> what, what difference does that make? if I know this or if I don't know this. So that's kind of how the structure is going to be. Um, And this is going to be the structure for every episode that you listen to this semester. Um, So are you girls ready to fly? I can't wait. I'm actually excited. Yeah. Good. Okay. So let's just start off. Cain and Abel, Genesis 4 and 5, go. Well, they were the children of Adam and Eve. And this begins the line, the godly line. Right. And we want to remember that God had said, your seed is going to crush the serpent. And so that godly line is the seed that's coming from Eve that's going to restore Adam and Eve to what they had before the fall. So that seed, they're looking for a savior, somebody to come along and save them from all this mess that they've created and restore them to God's original plan. Dr. Miller keeps calling him the snake killer. <laughs> I know. Yes. Yeah. All through. That's a lot of pressure was... to put on a kid. Think about that. Yeah. They're, you know, they're going, oh, our, our savior is coming and yeah. looking at, at Cain and Abel going, which one of you? Which one? Which one? Which one? And well, because they... they were probably thinking, yeah, it's, it's one of these guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. They weren't thinking a couple thousand years down the road. They were thinking, my seed. They weren't playing the long game like God Mm -mm. is. (laughs) No. (laughs) They're thinking short term. We have the privilege of looking back on this long term. Um, And we know if if you've read Genesis 4 and 5, which we encourage you to do, um, Cain and Abel, not such a great story. Doesn't turn out as well as um, some had hoped. Yeah. Certainly not as well as Abel would have hoped. (laughs) Well, yeah. so we need to talk about that. Cain kills his brother, Abel. Um, he's mad because God expects 
a blood sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. Cain doesn't like that. He wants to give God a vegetable sacrifice. <laughs> um, so there's, there's all kinds of jealousy and there's, there's disobedience towards God. And there's, there's just a whole mishmash of awful emotions, negative, violent emotions that are involved here. Um, and so in the end, he kills his brother. I think what I found the most interesting, though, was even after that happens, in fact, right after it happens, God has conversation with Cain. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was like, well, now Cain's obviously gone after the, he's fallen after the evil one, right? So it's interesting that God doesn't stop pursuing Cain, even with all the bad choices that Cain's making or has made. God's still after his heart. Mm-hmm. He doesn't give up on him. So let me ask, how does this show who God is and who cares? Why does it matter to me? Well, it matters because every time I mess up, God's not going to give up on me either. It's proof. I mean, Cain does about the worst thing he can do. He kills his brother and God still doesn't give up on him. And not only does he kill his brother, this is what cracks me up. Like, uh, this shows my demented sense of humor. <laughs> but, like, he's the first guy to whack someone, right? So, like, he is the OG murderer. Like, yeah. this isn't even yeah. something that he was taught. This isn't even something where he was like, oh, there are, you know, millions of murders that have happened. He's yeah. like, oh, what's a good idea? Oh, I'm just going to beat my brother with a rock. Like, yeah. what the heck? Yeah. That's he like, oh. lured him out into the field. Come on up here with me. So it was very premeditated. It wasn't something that he, you know, just did on the fly in a a fit of rage or whatever. He planned it out. Yeah. And it's not learned behavior, like you said, Suzanne, because nobody else has ever done this before. Yeah. So he didn't watch some movie that got him all stirred up and made him think, oh, wouldn't that be cool if I go kill my brother? Nothing like that. It came out of his heart. Yeah. Sin entered into the world in chapter three. And got got everybody cursed, and boy, Cain got his uh, lion's share yeah. of the sin. Yeah, when God even the- says to him, "Don't you know that sin is lurking? It's it's right mm-hmm. there, lurking, trying to get you." And you have to listen. You have to stop it. it. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you remember how when we were back in Genesis, I kept talking about the earth? What is this with the earth, the ground, the earth, the ground? And more and more, I think I'm coming back to its reality. It's like reality is going to hit you in the face. There's blood on this earth. Yeah. That's real. Yeah. You know, or the same thing even with um, Adam in the garden. It's like the garden, the earth is cursed or whatever. Now it's going to be hard. Now it's going to be hard. And it's like almost like a, a it's a good reality check. Abel's what? blood is crying out. Go ahead. Um, I thought about you saying that when I read about that part. And as Dr. Miller was saying that um, before God cursed the ground, you know, it'd be, it would be like um, Adam would take out some tomato seeds and throw them out on the ground. And the earth was like, yes, I'm going to give you the best tomatoes you ever ate in your life, blah, blah, blah. Now Adam goes out and throws out tomato seeds and the earth is like, nah, don't think so. Mm-hmm. Sorry about that. You ruined it. 
But think about that in, in our, when we're with God, when we're connected with God, when we're in doing His will, in general, things will go well. When we bring sin into it our way, we're going to make it happen. It gets so hard. Mm-hmm. Well, I loved how if you tie that, if you bring that full circle, that idea of throwing the seeds out and saying, hey, grow. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to grow yeah. you the best tomatoes ever. As long as Adam was under God's authority right, um, and there was no rebellion, everything was in cooperation with everything else. Mm-hmm. But once Adam decided to rebel and come put himself in authority over God, now the earth is not subject to him anymore. So no matter what he does, the earth is not going to cooperate, not to any great extent. It's going to be hard. Whatever cooperation he gets, he's got to force it. Um, and when you look at, at how we live our lives, we spend a lot of energy trying to force things to happen. I mean, that seems to be man's bent these days. Even going back to Cain, when you were saying, you know, Cain decided, no, you don't want a, a flesh offering, you want a fruit offering or a mm-hmm. vegetable or something mm-hmm. else. In that sense, he took himself and he put himself yeah. above God. He, things were out of order. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes it so much harder. Mm-hmm. Oh, what's our lesson? What's our application? Stay in your place. <laughs> Stay in your lane. That's right. Let God be in his place. Yeah. It works out better. Let God be God and be grateful that he is who he is. Think about how loving he is. Yeah. He's not letting Cain get away with things. He's not letting Adam and Eve get away with things. A loving God is showing them the truth of who he is and how this works. Right. And instead of abandoning them when they have turned their back on him, he's like, no, I'm here. I'm here. Let me show you how we're going to fix this. Mm -hmm. And remember that they're thinking this is a short-term plan and God is playing the very long game here. um, So they don't necessarily see it. And we have the privilege of looking back to see that, but um, he hasn't given up on them. But... The line of Cain just keeps getting more convoluted. Adam and Eve have multiple children. Guess what, guys? It's not just Cain and Abel. The rest of the world did not just come from Cain and Abel. There's lots of kids floating around out there. Um, Pardon the pun because we're now moving into the flood. But (laughs) There you go. go. That was good, Suzanne. That was a good transition. (laughs) We... um, you know, we see that that there is a lot of um, dissension from the ways of God, but there are still some righteous folks in the world. And that's when we start to see, like in Genesis 6 through 10, this is a big chunk because um, if you kind of take that passage, the flood is kind of smack, smack in the middle there, right? Like we t- we're going to talk a little bit about the buildup to the flood and then the release from the flood. Um, and what that looks like both pre and post. So who has thoughts on that whole mess? Because it is, it's a mess. It's a mess. I I love all the genealogies. You know, we usually read through those and don't think too much about them. Um, That's something that can put you to sleep pretty quick. But in those genealogies, it, it starts to look like the earth, like more and more people are getting worse and worse that more sin, sin is abounding. There are still some righteous, but they're getting fewer and fewer. Um, 
one of the things that I found very interesting was when um, the scripture about when the sons of man marry or the daughters of the sons of man married the daughters of the sons of God. You know, and there's always been a lot of discussion about what that really meant. And this teaching that Dr. Miller did, he said, how about if we just, what if the daughters of the sons of God are godly daughters and the daughters of the sons of men are ungodly. Now we've got the godly and the ungodly mixing together. And so what that's doing is not making more godly people, it's making more ungodly people. And so by the time we get to Noah, there are only eight righteous people on the face of the earth. And however many others there are, they are not godly. They're ungodly. And that was really an interesting um, thought for me. Because, um, you know, later on in the, in the Old Testament, God makes some pretty specific things about telling his people not to marry foreign wives. And I think it's because of this thing with Noah and this situation where the there were no restrictions and the godly and the ungodly just got married and reproduced and it, it took away from the godly. But it's pretty scary to think that at this point in time, now we've got eight godly people left, mm-hmm. Noah and his family. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, and those eight godly people are Noah and his wife. Their three sons. That's five. Yeah. And then their three sons, because for those of you who are listening, you can't see me holding my fingers <laughs> up counting. Um, Noah and his wife, and then three sons, and then the, the wives of the three sons. So that's where your eight come in. Yeah. And y'all, the rest of the world is rotten. Yeah. I mean, rotten. Rotten. Bad. Every so bad. thought was evil all the time. So it's every, all, all. all. Yeah. yeah. And we think we're in a bad time or a tough time right now. Not even close, Mm-mm. not even close. And we know what it's like too, to, I'm going to call it under the oppression of all this negativity. Think about the oppression that Noah and his family were experiencing. Oh, and then they're the weirdos who are like, um, I'm going to build this boat, which nobody really knows what this is, but I'm just right. going to do this in the middle yeah. of the dry land because yeah. um, God told me that it's going to rain, but like, we don't even know what rain is. Right. So um, just don't make fun of me. Okay. <laughs> like, <You're right>. like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, God's not a 13 year old girl. Let's, or uh, no. Noah's not a 13 year old girl. Let's put that out there. But I mean, I really think that there was probably some of that going through their minds. Well, sure. Think of Steve Carroll in that movie. It's like, yeah, he's now my favorite depiction of Moses or um, Noah. Noah. I'm sorry, Noah. I'm sure those people thought he'd lost his mind. Oh, they would have had to. Had to. And think of how mean they were, too. Mm -hmm. So one thing I never think about um, with Noah and his family is the fact that they would have been mocked. And they would have been, things would not have been easy for them. But they just kept trudging through. So knowing that they were only the eight righteous people in the entire world, and that they were doing this super weird thing. Because guess what, y'all? Christians do some weird things. But this is like super weird. <laughs> <laughs> and they just kept going because God said that this is how he was going to save the world. Mm-hmm. So, so what that tells me about God is he has a plan. Yeah. He has a plan for us and it's good. And it may look weird and strange and bizarre to us. 
But if we just follow him, we have life. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to say yeah. when I was a kid and I would read that God, God destroyed every living thing on the face of the earth with that flood. And that was a scary, scary thing. Um, but I didn't really have an understanding that the reason he did that was to save that godly line so that the seed of Jesus could come and save us all. So it was for everyone's good that he sent the flood because he had to get rid of all that ungodliness and wickedness that was in the earth. And he had to secure the succession, the line of Jesus. So that kind of changed my feeling. It, it, wasn't, a, it wasn't to hurt anybody. It was to help us all mm-hmm. that he allowed, that, that he sent that flood. It changed my whole perspective on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how did, I mean, obviously the, the wickedness and the evil is wiped out, right? Flood comes, all gone. Sayonara. Now we're back down to the eight. And... They're pairs of animals on this big stinky ark. And so now it's post-flood time. And how does the world look different? How does the world look different than it did minus the evil? How have relationships changed? How has um, man's dominion changed? How has the perspective of humankind to God changed? After the flood. I, I think if I was Noah, I'd be pretty afraid of God, knowing the absolute power that I've experienced over the last 40 days plus. Mm-hmm. But the mocking has certainly stopped. For a little while. I know. I was like, how did Ham make the boat? That was my thinking. Like, they might have been able to just talk Pam a little bit or had him feed the lions. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Feed him to the lions. I, uh, I know. I know. I, I think evil would have still been in the world if Ham hadn't come on. I do. I just think. Well, every every person is born with a quote unquote original sin, right? right. Mm-hmm. So they were count they were righteous, but they weren't perfect and they weren't sinless. Mm-hmm. Everybody has sin in them. So you really can't get away from that. But these are the only ones that were following God. Mm-hmm. Good point. Ham makes the boat. That's fine. He just made choices that were towards the sin side. Well but That's every every day we make choices, right? Mm-hmm. Some Godly choices and some ungodly choices. Even saved and secure in our salvation, that doesn't mean that we're not going to sin ever again. Right. Um, so I think it's just a, he's just a good example of what can happen if you're not, if you don't stay connected to the vine, if you don't stay connected to Jesus, if you don't stay connected to God, the chances of you going off the rails are, are pretty good. If you want to stay secure, you want to stay close. Yeah. So I think this is a great example of God saying, um, like God showing who he is and the fact that he is merciful in the fact that he has kept those that are righteous, Mm -hmm. wiped out the rest, 
but he does not expect perfection. And he uses imperfect people to continue the line of Jesus. Because remember that Jesus ties all the way back to the beginning. And Jesus was the plan from the very beginning. And so the fact that God uses these imperfect people who they get off the boat and then there's, you know, they get onto land and then Ham makes fun of his father and mocks him. And we don't know exactly what it all is, but it's disgraceful. And um, I mean, this is like within a short time of them just watching the earth be completely wiped out. Mm-hmm. Well, because Noah had planted a vineyard and he got drunk and he was passed out in his tent. That's when that happened. So, <clears throat> I mean, that can't be good. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Oh, so are you speaking from experience, Terry? I don't know. No, (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, but it does. It shows that God um, has used imperfect people all the way along. All the way through. And how encouraging is that for us to know that, you know what? We're going to mess up, but it's okay. All these big names in the Bible have all messed up. Yeah. Not that we want I'm sorry. No, yeah. Yeah, not that we want to just say, okay, we're covered, we're good, and just, you know, go on big sin sprees or whatever. Yeah. Uh, not a license to sin, but, um, yeah, it is a little bit of comfort to know God will still love me. He'll still be there. He still has a plan for me mm-hmm. in his plan. And And how cool that he does use the imperfect people. One caution for that is when we try to get into our perfectionism, I think we're, again, taking ourselves out of order, putting ourselves above God and saying, no, I really can do this better, God, or I can do this perfectly. Like, who has the standard of perfect? Only God. Only God. He sets that standard. Yep. Yeah. And it is reassuring that we can still be part of his plan. Absolutely. Okay. So now you want to talk about getting things out of order. (laughs) let's talk a little bit about the tower of babel shall we Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i i have that flannel graph picture in my head (laughs) yes you know of like the ladders and the people and the the brick chain going all the way up and then people like flying is is like in my head like you know the, the Tower of Babel, everybody being scattered. And I don't know if I imagined this or if this was actually a flannel graph that I saw, but like people being at the very top of a ladder at a very, very tall um, tower mm-hmm. and then like just flying through the air because like the people <laughs> are being scattered and God's like, we're not doing this. And so there's like, that could have been a coloring page. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, it might have been. I didn't Rosemary's think about looking that at as, me like, holy cow. What I never you, thought what about that. What did you see? I know. <laughs> I never thought about it as people physically flying. It was almost like, I can't even stand this person. They're not even talking English. I'm out of yeah. here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And they're like, I'm booking it. And when we look, I'm just going to pop back a little bit. The three sons of um, Noah. So um, Japheth goes to Europe, Asia. He's, he's spread out all along there. Um, Ham had Southwest Asia, Canaan, and Africa. And then Shem had the Middle East. The thing that's kind of cool to me about some of this, and we even see it in South America too as people continue, that shape of that tower 
It also mimics pyramids. It also mimics all these different towers throughout the world and the timing of those towers. It's very cool. Let's circle back real quick and give like the general concept of the Tower of Babel because mm-hmm. the flood people get like that's that's a big one. The Tower of mm-hmm. Babel, um, who can give a five second summary of the Tower of Babel? Up, down, boom. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> the people, the people at the time said, you know what? It, this is so ironic, but it's yeah. like, let's build a tower. We can reach to God. We can basically be like God. We'll make a name for ourselves and we'll never have to be separated from each other. Surprise. Surprise. Yeah. But all against God's plan. Yeah. Yeah. If God does exactly what they're hoping, what they're planning for would not happen. He does scatter them. Yeah. On purpose. Yeah. Yeah. It's ironic to me that they're like, this is one of the reasons that they made the tower. But it's all um, to bring significance to themselves. Mm -hmm. God has no place in their plan. Except to be defiant against. Like it was done in direct defiance of God's. God said, scatter the earth, go through the earth. Right? No, they didn't do that. They were going to stay together. We're going to stay together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's some pretty interesting scripture verses around the Tower of Babel that when, you know, I love that part when God first looks down, <coughs> excuse me, he says, you know, we got to stop this because whatever they imagine, they can do. Um, and so it's very interesting that he knows that if they're, if he lets it go on, they are going to build a civilization completely without him. Mm-hmm. Because if that's what they've imagined, that's what they're going to do. And so in his mercy, he knows that we can't really live without him. And we're going to be doomed without him for eternity. So he says, we got we got to stop it. We can't let them go down this path. So let's scatter them throughout the earth. Let's change their languages um, before they get themselves in a worse fix than they're already in. So... Mm-hmm. The whole point of the Tower of Babel was to create this kind of central point, right? Where everybody could gather and everybody could um, be very insular. Nobody was going to go out. Nobody was going to grow. Nobody was going to spread anything. It was all just going to be us and our society and what we are and the end. God, like, great. Thanks for the cleaning things out from the flood. We've got this. See you later. Like, we've got this. We are here. It's fine. But that's not what God told them to do. Right. And like, in my mind, I think about, and I, this may be a little bit of a tangent here, but it makes me think about people who are like, oh, I found God and I found Jesus. And I'm only going to surround myself with people who believe the same thing I believe Mm -hmm. and who act the same way that I believe. And who sing the same songs I sing and who look like me and live in this little bubble. But that is not what we are called to do. We are mm-hmm. called to go outside the bubble so that we can share the news of God, so that we can share the news of Jesus. And the, the folks who are at the Tower of Babel have said, oh, I'm not going to go do anything. I don't need to talk about God. I don't need to talk. They don't know Jesus. 
I don't need to talk about God. I'm just going to do it all right here. And it's all going to be about me, 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 and what I'm comfortable with. That was really, I I think that was really important, Suzanne, when you're talking about that, because their faith, when you're talking about people who are like that, depends on their works alone, Mm -hmm. right? They built, this tower was built of stones that the people created. They didn't even use God's creations. They didn't use stones. They used bricks that the people had created. And so they depended only upon themselves. It was this way of not having to depend on God. So it's like, great, I have this Christianity. Now, if I do this, I do this, I do this. I don't have to have a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. I don't have to engage in the plan. I got the cue. I, I'm following the directions. Got it from here, God. I'm at it. Right. I know what's expected of me right here. And this is it. Like, I'm good. I don't need to reach out. I don't need to depend on anybody else. I it It's just us in our little bubble. Yeah. As for no more, we got it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. We don't have to listen to God or who he is or what he says. Right. That's really important for us to know when we talk about who is God. He's a relational God. He's a God who has order. Right. And we're a part of that. And so when we step outside of that and start playing our own game, we're in the wrong game. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. It, and a question for people, you know, doing this in general is like, where have I built my own tower? Where have I used my own bricks? Where am I depending just on me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Mm-hmm. My bricks. <laughs> Terry's taking notes. Terry's taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that shows like when we when we talk about the Tower of Babel, it shows who how does this show who God is? Mm-hmm. Is the fact that he wants us to go out. He wants us to depend on him. He wants us to share his love and his news with others. Right. And like for us, he's probably not going to like shut our houses down, shatter them into pieces, throw us a gazillion miles, which I, I mean, he probably didn't, but I'm going mm-hmm. back to my flannel graph. That, you know, that's <laughs> like, going to mess with me for a while now. Suzanne. <laughs> didn't occur to me. <laughs> he's, he's not going to take away our languages um, so that we can't understand our, our spouses or our family members or whatever. Um, I shouldn't say he's not going to, because I'm not God. I don't know, but the likelihood of that, not real great. So, um, but how does this show who he is, is he took very drastic measures here to, again, save that lineage and for this to grow, for this movement, for this word of God, for his people to grow further than their little bubble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then why does that matter? Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> I, but, you know, I, I think a part of it is like, when you were talking, I was like, well, no, we have Google Translate. We have this, we have that. We have a capacity to get to most very... I think we've been on the earth. We haven't been under the sea as much, but um, we have tremendous capacity. And I think with all of that, we build our own towers. Yeah. So mm-hmm. is is we could be in the same room connected with all these people and we're in our own tower on our phone mm-hmm. doing our thing, right? And shutting God out. And he's a God who continues to pursue us. This is the relentless love of God. And mm-hmm. he pursues us even when we've, been like Cain when we have murdered someone else with our words 
and fought these things, he still pursues us. He still comes after us. Um, I think that does matter. I, I think, yeah. Well, it's for us, the, only, the closest thing I think you could relate it to would be if you had a child that went astray. Mm-hmm. You know, your heart would be to do whatever for that child to come back. And like the prodigal son, you would forgive that child for probably about everything or anything to have them come back and be a part of your family again. And that's God. He's, he's very merciful. And he wants us to be that, that family, his family. And so he shows mercy and he gives grace, whatever it takes to bring us back. Um, he didn't even spare his own son. Mm-hmm. Jesus came and gave himself for us so that we could be restored to that position in God's family that he intended from the day he made Adam. Before that, I guess, mm-hmm. from eternity. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking of the, the um, connection, it's like the Lord, during the Tower of Babel, if people can let us come down. So he's still talking in the Trinity, even in the... Yeah. Yeah. Even in the Old Testament, it's another point where he's doing that. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, let go of us. Angie, will you pray for us? Um, Absolutely. That'd be great. Okay. Father, thank you so much that you have wrapped your arms around us and revealed to us how much you love us and revealed to us that you want us um, in your family that you want to be in relationship with us. Thank you, Father, that you've shown us that we don't have to be perfect, um, that that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for relationship, and you're looking, Father, for faith that you are God and you alone, and that you have put this plan in motion, that if we would come to recognize that, that Jesus um, was the seed that you sent to save us from our sin and to restore us to the relationship that you intended for us. Thank you, Father, that your word shows us that from the very beginning that you were making um, arrangements for us. That when we sinned, you didn't just leave us there. You didn't say, oh, too bad for them. You made a way for us to re-engage with you and for us to come back into your family, to be cleansed of that sin and restored to right relationship with you. So, Father, I just thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together today, Father. Um, Thank you for everyone that's been listening. I pray, Lord, your blessings upon each and every one, that their hearts will be open to receive your great love for them. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. And cut. <laughs> <laughs>